Let's pray together before we study God's word. Father, thank you so much that through Jesus Christ we are redeemed. And we sit here as redeemed men and women, Christians, before your word now. And I have these notes and I have this plan in my head and I just, I just ask that your word would go forth with power and accomplish your purposes in the hearts of your people, myself included, that you would be transforming us, that you would be shaping us and removing from us the things that don't belong and introducing into our hearts things that do belong now and that you would be making us into your church, your body, alive and well and functioning. I just confess before you and before your people that there is no, no good thing in me that would enable that to happen. And I cry out to you for help, that you would help me to serve your people well with your word. And I ask that you would help us all, give us eyes that see and ears that hear, and soft, receptive hearts. And when we hear, may we hear your voice. And we'll give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, they're probably springing open to the book of Romans on their own. And that's because we only have three more passages to go in Romans. Today's is a massive passage. And then we have two more. He's concluding his letter. Now, as we've been in Romans, there were two chapters that people would come and ask me about. And other pastors would laugh at me when they knew that I was going to be moving through Romans with my church. One of those chapters was Romans chapter 9. Do you remember Romans chapter 9? That's the one that dealt with predestination and election. The other one was chapter 16. That's the chapter we're in today. So Romans 9 was dangerous because it could have ignited a a firestorm of controversy over these issues of predestination and election. Romans 16 is dangerous because it could ignite a firestorm of boredom and drowsiness. If you'll see what's already up here, and if you have your Bibles open to it, it's a long list of greetings that Paul wants to happen in Rome as this letter is delivered. It reads like uh, the um, recipient list on a mass email. Why would we want to read that this morning? Yet we know that all Scripture is God-breathed, and all Scripture is profitable for teaching and for correction and reproof and for training in righteousness. And none of us by mistake and none of us included in here by accident. It's all important. Romans 16 is profitable. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16 and then skip a chunk and look at verses 21 through 23. We're going to take in all of Romans 16 where he's talking about specific individuals. And in these verses, we're going to learn a lot about the church. We're going to learn a lot about the church. We're going to learn that the church is personal, the church is practical, and that the church is rooted in Christ. Those are your three points for you note takers. I don't see anybody taking notes yet. Okay, so we're going to read it. I'm going to let you stay seated for it. I'm going to read it in its entirety. 
okay? Do not make fun of me when I get to names that I have to fake pronunciation like I understand it. Listen to God's word. Listen to this as though Paul is taking you by the arm and he's introducing you to all these people that he cares deeply about in the Roman church, okay? We're gonna read it and then we're gonna dissect it. Romans 16, beginning at verse one. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of, a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the, to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved uh, Stachys. Greet, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And then we're going to jump to verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. There you go. Dismiss. Why does God include all this? He clearly intended for us to read it. I think there's a lot that we can observe and be amazed by in these verses, but I've just picked out these three things about the church. The church is personal, the church is practical, and the church is rooted in Christ. Paul mentions about 35 people by name in these verses. You can count if you want to, but I'm pretty sure it's about 35 people. When Paul was writing this letter that we've been working on for so long, for years, when Paul was writing this letter, he wasn't writing to some impersonal organization. He was writing to Prissa and Aquila and those who met in their house. When Paul was praying for this church in Rome, he wasn't praying for some vague Christian enterprise. He was praying for Junia and Ampliatus and Urbanus. When he thought about the Roman church, 
He thought about specific people. Because the church is the people. His Holy Spirit inspired understanding of the church lands on these individuals. I wonder if as you've thought about the Roman church, if you've pictured actual people or if you've just pictured just this organization. See, the same is true for the church across all of history and across the globe and uh, in America and us who call ourselves Doolin's Grove. The church is the people. You are the church. I am the church. It's personal. It's not geographical or theatrical or institutional like we sometimes think it is. What I mean by that is if Doolin's Grove is stripped of this property, we can't meet in this building or this land anymore, does Doolin's Grove still exist? Yes, it does. We, we do still exist because we are not the building, we are not the property. We are the people. Um, if if the, the stage is wiped out and the, uh, we lose our sound system and we, we lose our ability to have the Sunday morning worship service, we have no ability to have music whatsoever, do we still exist? Yes. Yes, because Doolin's Grove is, is us. If Doolin's Grove, the institution, ceases to exist, if, if the name is stripped from us, we can no longer use the name Doolin's Grove and along with it, you know, all our documentation that recognizes, as, recognizes us as an entity, governmentally and legally, if all that is taken away, do we still exist? Yes, the church still exists because we are the church. The people are the church. It's not the spot. It's not the show. It's not the institution. It's you. And it's me. Now, this has profound implications for us, and I'm going to mention four. Since the church is personal, the character of the people forms the character of the church. Since the church is the people, the people's character forms the church's character. The church is what the people are. Doolin's Grove is what we are as individuals. If the people are humble, the church is humble. If the people are proud and self-reliant, the church is proud and self-reliant. If the people are loving and giving and generous, the church is loving and giving and generous. If the individuals, you and me, are not loving and caring and generous, the church is not loving and caring and generous. The character of the people is the character of the church. Second uh, implication, the actions of the people are the actions of the church. There is no such thing as Doolin's Grove doing something that we people aren't doing. What you and I do is what Doolin's Grove does. And what you and I don't do is what Doolin's Grove does not do. That's just how it works. You know, you've heard and said and I've said, I wish the church would do blank. I wish they would stop doing blank as if the church is a some sort of machine that you can program to serve us it's it's masters it's owners well that's just that's completely erroneous thinking it doesn't work that way so 
if we wish the church would do blank, then we must do blank. Because we are the church. So the character of the people is the character of the church. The actions of the people are the actions of the church. Um, Since the church is personal, this is the third implication. Since the church is personal and not institutional, to get involved with the church is to get involved with the people. There's no such thing as getting involved with church aside from actual real relationships with the people that make up the church. So if we're not involved with each other, we're not involved with the church. Something's been prompting me, well, something, I think it's the Holy Spirit, has been prompting me to study the spiritual gifts lately and to try to get us all understanding how we're made and gifted to function as part of the body of Christ. And so Wednesday night, we studied them, and I went through all of the ones that the Scripture lists, and I brainstormed um, some recommendations of how to move forward if you think some of these gifts are yours. And without any intention on my part, with each gift, each gift had a, a patch of recommendations, and they all shared one in common. And that was get involved with people. We can't use any of our gifts if we're not involved with people, with each other. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Last little implication that I've thought of, and there's many more. Since the church is personal, in order to build the church up, one must build the people up. To build up the church, any church, but we're focusing on Doolin's Grove right now because that's who we are. To build up our church is to build up our people. There's no such thing as building up Doolin's Grove apart from building up our people. So as you think about Doolin's Grove, I hope that what you're seeing is faces, the faces of people. The faces of the people you're sitting beside, the faces of the people who aren't here. You know, does, does Doolin's Grove love to get together and worship on Sunday mornings? About half does. We're, we're about halfway as a church where we love to be here on Sunday mornings. So one lesson we learn from all these names is that the church is personal. The next lesson I'm going to point to is the church is practical. And what I mean by this is the church is real people doing real things for a real purpose. I think sometimes we can over-spiritualize church to where it becomes this vague notion and it's not vague at all. As you read this passage, it's real people just doing real things to advance the gospel. Phoebe seems like she was probably wealthy. She seemed to use her wealth as a part of the church to support a lot of Christian ministers, including Paul. So if it wasn't for Phoebe's ability to earn money and spend it wisely and her generosity to help with Paul, he, pro- he may not have been able to support himself and write this letter. And contextually, it seems, we don't know for sure, but it seems like she's probably the one who carried the letter to Rome. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. He's commending her. He's sending her to the Christians at Rome. And all the scholars agree that she was probably carrying the letter of Romans with her. Paul must have really trusted this lady. So there's a a ministry, a practical ministry going on in the background of this colossal book of the Bible that you might not even think about. Somebody had to fund it. Somebody had to transmit it to the recipients. 
Prisca and Aquila says they risked their necks for Paul being imprisoned with them. Also says that they hosted a church in their home. It's just practical work of the kingdom. They had a home, it was big enough, they opened it up. We know from, uh, from Acts that they also mentored a gifted young teacher named Apollos. So this is a couple, they're mature in Christ. They're trying to figure out what can we do with our gifts and our resources to advance the gospel. Well, we'll open our homes and invite the church to meet here. And this teacher, Apollos, is really gifted, but he's off on some things. We can take him under our wing and mentor him. Mary and Tryphena and Tryphosa, who were probably twin sisters, and their names mean delicate. So it's almost with a wink that Paul talks about them as uh, those, those workers in the Lord. That, that word work is like a very laborsome, strong word. And it's these dainty twin ladies. Persis, they're all said to have worked hard, but they don't tell us what kind of work it was. There was hard work going on. Urbanus and Timothy are called fellow workers, which seems more like an assistant. It seems like they were assisting Paul in some way. I point that out because I just want you to see in the background of what we read in the Bible are an army of ordinary Christians doing the ordinary practical work of being the church. It can be easy to think, well, it was Paul and it was Peter and it was John and it was the giants and they were doing the giant things. And now we're just, you know, Matt and Richard and Kathy, you know. But all along, those giant things were enabled by all the little practical work of the kingdom. The church is, is practical. There's things to be done and we're gifted to do it. 1 Corinthians twelve twelve says, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. That was a tongue twister. But basically, we're a body, and we're made up of all these different functioning parts and members. And you're a part, and I'm a part, and we all have our individual functions. So the church is, it's the people of God plus the enabling gifts of God plus the mission of God moving forward in little practical ways. This may seem obvious, but I think we forget it. I think in our forgetfulness that we are to, in practical ways, try to be making disciples and worshiping God and loving our neighbor. We forget all that, and we start trying to prop up church structures instead. How do we, how do we prop up church attendance? How do we prop up some excitement? We're not called to prop up attendance and excitement. We're, we're called to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we're called to make disciples of all the nations starting close to us. We're called to trust Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus. It's easy to move all that aside and and start trying to build the church. There are practical ways to be about all these things. I'm not going to go through all the gifts right now. I do want to talk to you about the spiritual gifts sometime. But just as our bodies have vocal cords and mouths, The church has people who are especially enabled to communicate the gospel. And that might be some of you. That may be the practical work that you're called to do. Just as the body has arms and hands and fingers, the church has people who are especially gifted to serve and help and be merciful and embrace 
And that may be you. That may be your practical part in the body of Christ. I'm reminded from a line from Hugo. I know you guys didn't see it, but it was a big movie that came out. There's this boy in there who is trying to rebuild a robot, and he's all into machinery and everything. Elias loved it. But there's this quote, and he says, Everything has a purpose. Clocks tell you the time. Trains take you to places. I'd imagine the whole world was one big machine. Machines never come with any extra parts, you know. They always come with the exact amount they need. So I figured if the entire world was one big machine, I couldn't be an extra part. I had to be here for some reason. And that means you have to be here for some reason too. I think the church is like this. There are no extra parts to the people that God has assembled together. There is a reason, there's a very specific reason that he has brought this bizarre combination of people together under one roof. I desperately want each of us to figure out what our part is in this mechanism so we can start to function. And I know many are functioning in many ways, and some are functioning in ways that that they're not meant for, and they're getting burned out, and they're tired. So the questions that raises are, what part of the church are you meant to play, and what part is our church meant to play in the global church? Because every church is going to be different. But we can figure out practically how to get about the kingdom work. So the church is personal, the church is practical. And the last thing I just want to point out from these verses is that the church is rooted in Christ. Lillian asked me recently, um, we were driving down the road and she's adorable and her little face is miraculous. And so when I drive down the road, I tilt the rearview mirror as such so I could see the road behind me and I can see her face. That may be dangerous, but I'm good. I'm careful. Meredith probably didn't even know that I do this. But I like to see her little face and I can see the road behind me. And she'll, I can see that she's thinking and she'll say her little cute things to me. And one day we were driving down Arlington Church Road over here and she said, Daddy, why don't the trees tip over? She's looking at all these big trees and some of them were standing crooked and they're so tall. She's trying to figure out, why don't they tip over? So I realized in that moment, she, doesn't, she has no understanding of what roots are. She thought that the trees were just kind of sitting there and somehow they were just staying. They weren't falling over. So I tried to explain to her roots and how that works. And I thought I did a pretty awesome job, but then I heard her ask again the next time we were in the car, why don't the trees tip over? Roots are some of the most important part of the tree. It's from the roots that they get, the tree gets its nutrients, that it's able to grow, that it's able to survive. And it's the roots that anchor it into the ground and keep it from tipping over. So trees aren't just you know, put on the ground. There's roots that dig down and grab the soil underneath. And the church is like this. You know, churches don't just sit on the surface. A real church, the true church, is rooted down into Christ Jesus. Did you see how rooted down into Christ Jesus this passage was? I'm going to read the whole thing again. I'm just kidding. You guys are like, oh, no. No, but I am going to point out how deeply rooted this passage is in Christ Jesus. Because you may, not, you may have missed it, because I missed it the first couple times I read it. Verse 2, that you may welcome her in the Lord 
Verse 3, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, they were in Christ before me. Verse 8, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, my fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, who is approved in Christ. Verse 11, those in the Lord. Verse 12, those workers in the Lord. Verse 12 again, worked hard in the Lord. Verse 13, chosen in the Lord. Verse 16, churches of Christ. Every, every individual he's thinking about as a church, he sees this clear connection between them and Jesus. And that's, that's vital for us to remember. Unfortunately, often we want to stay upright by rooting into other things other than Christ Jesus. And I'm that way too, because other things seem more immediately powerful than sinking our roots deeper into Christ. But if we're not careful, we can, we can root into other sources of excitement or energy or attendance or whatever that will, over time, leave us hollow and decayed and will tip over anyway. The true church is rooted deeply into Jesus Christ. And remember, what is the church? You, me. Okay, so if Doolin's Grove is going to be rooted deeply into Jesus Christ, Doolin's Grove, the institution can't do it because that's not even really an entity. It's not even doesn't even really exist in reality. Doolin's Grove, the show on Sunday morning can't do it. It's Doolin's Grove, the you, and Doolin's Grove, the me, have to be rooted deep in Jesus Christ. So if you feel our church is lacking nutrients, where's the answer? Jesus Christ. If, if you feel our church is lacking stability, we might tip over. Where's the answer? Jesus Christ. Period. This is where we start. This is where we continue. This is where we end sinking roots down deep into Jesus Christ. I know all this seems obvious. <laughs> I, know. I know I'm talking about this all the time. But there's a very real danger that we forget. One of the greatest dangers to the church is that we'll forget Jesus. And you see it happen. I know you've seen it happen with churches. You know, someone very close to me was part of a church that was this up-and-coming mega church in Charlotte. And he was in on the ground floor when they were still meeting in a movie theater. He was friends with the pastor. And I was talking to him yesterday about some of these things in the word. And um, he's now completely alienated from church and Christianity. He's cut off from it. But the process he saw was the process of forgetting about Jesus, of the church pulling the roots up out of Jesus and sinking them into other things. And the church grew, but it was from, it was from folks from other churches. It wasn't new believers. And eventually he looked around and it was just all this big, empty nothing. I mean, I think one of our greatest dangers as a church is that we'll forget Jesus and focus on church. The church was never meant to focus on church. You see it happen when, when Christians promote their church like crazy, but never promote Jesus. That's, that's idolatry. You see it happen... I think the, the most damaging thing that I see happen is when people, Christians or, or those who think they're Christians, begin to look to their church as their Savior and their Lord and begin to look to their church for the things that only Jesus can give them. The church isn't Jesus. Don't come to the church looking for fulfillment or 
or alleviation of guilt and sin. Church doesn't do that. Jesus does that. It's a weird, it's a weird organism that roots itself into itself to try to sustain itself. Folks in this boat who substitute church for Jesus could rewrite all those verses I just told you, but replace the Lord with Jesus. And it would sound like, welcome her in the church. My fellow workers in church. They were in the church before me, in verse 7. My beloved in the church. My fellow worker in the church. And we talk like that all the time. We church, 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 church. Or at least I do, because this is all I do all day, every day. Maybe some of you aren't in danger of this as much as I am. I don't want to be a church church. I want to be a Jesus church. And that happens when we as individuals sink our roots deeply into Christ Jesus. That's different from church. You don't. You do that and you become the church. You grow into the church. And all the while you're, you're thinking Jesus, 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 not church, church, church. I want us to thrive as individual members of this church. I want Doolin's Grove to thrive. So I'm just reminding us that church is personal. Church is practical. Church is rooted in Christ. And maybe... This passage hits you and it's an invitation for you to shift your focus from the impersonal elements of churchiness to the people sitting beside you, the people that you're friends with, the people that you're intermingled with, or the people that you need to be intermingled with. Maybe it's um, an invitation for repentance, for idolatrous things that we've been trying to sink our roots into other than Christ. Maybe some in the room have never truly gone to Jesus and don't have a clue what I'm talking about because they've never tasted the energizing, life-giving nutrients of Jesus Christ. And to you, I would say, just do it now. Give your life to him and trust and faith now. Maybe you're a Christian whose roots have stretched away and you're feeling weary and you're feeling faint and you're feeling exhausted. And man, I've been there. Let this just remind us where to find what we need. And go back, just the simple, just go back to just a quiet place and and God's word and spend some time with Jesus. Grow to trust him more deeply. Learn to follow him more deeply. Some of you are rooted in Jesus. You're rooted deep. Your roots are growing and you're thriving. Some, Some of you guys are thriving in Christ. And it's vibrant and it's strengthening for all of us and and you found ways to practically move forward as a christian and advance the gospel as a part of our church that are effective and and they're life-giving to you because they flow from who you are and you're excited about it to you i just say rejoice and work hard may we become a church deeply rooted in jesus christ growing and vibrant let's pray father thank you for your word all of it, even this passage of greetings. Lord, I just ask for your grace and your mercy for me and for your people. Lord, help us to be 
united and interwoven as people. Help us to see clearly what practical tasks you have set before us as a church and as individuals. And please do help us to root deeply into Christ. May we be a living and vibrant church for your glory and for the good of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.